When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Memory Lane Podcast here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. When we think about Penn State wrestling, we think about really the dominant sports program in the entire country right now. Penn State's won nine of the last 11 wrestling national championships in great position to make it 10 this year. How did Penn State get here? How did Cale Sanderson turn what had been a good program into really the greatest college sports program in the country today? And I've made that case really for a couple of years now. Alabama football, Georgia football, whatever. I mean, you're talking nine national championships in 11 years for Penn State. We're going to trace the history of it all here. Really good discussion. Andy Elder, longtime Penn State wrestling reporter, joins me. And I can't thank Andy enough for agreeing to do this. How you doing today, pal? Everything going well? I'm good, Corey. Thanks for having me. I want to go back to April of 2009. And news breaks that the greatest college wrestler of all time, Cale Sanderson, is going to come coach the Penn State wrestling team. Why did this happen? Why did Cale Sanderson decide to leave his alma mater, Iowa State, and come to Penn State? Well, initially when he heard the, the position had been open, he, he thought it was intriguing, but he wasn't too certain he wanted to leave his alma mater. Um, Tim Curley, who was heading up the search committee, he was the athletic director at the time, and um, a couple other um, influential Penn State sports backers. Um, I think there was a a member of the board of trustees and maybe some other, some other donors were, were said to have gotten together and said, Hey, if we could have one guy who we think could really have this program realize its potential, who would that be? And somebody dropped the name of Cale Sanderson. And then, you know, most people said, well, you know, he's at Iowa state, his alma mater. He wouldn't want to come. And they said, well, let's ask. So they inquired, and he said, yeah, I'll talk. So I, the story is that, you know, the members of the search committee jumped on the Penn State jet, went to Ames, and talked to him, and he was intrigued. And they kept the conversation going, and, and I don't think it took very many days to convince him that he would have what he needed to win championships at Penn State. And they convinced him. And he talked his brother Cody and his trusted uh, assistant uh, Casey Cunningham into joining him, and uh, you know the rest is history. Now the way the story goes, at least the legend, the lore, or what have you, and you can shed insight into whether you think this is true or know it to be true or what have you, is that Penn State gave him about a million dollars. That's at least what kind of has gone through the grapevine over time. Is that is that even remotely on par to what what went down? From what I've been told, and you know, Penn State keeps um, those types of numbers very much secret. 
But what I've, what I've been told and what Tim Curley has said in public, or at least in the past he did, was that you know, there were reports at the time that he was going to get a salary of 400000 or half a million dollars a year, which for wrestling would have been a mammoth number. And he would have been making what at Iowa State? Give or take two, maybe? Well, I think probably around $130,000, $140,000. Okay. Which, you know, for that time was among the highest salaries paid to wrestling coaches in the country. Now, there are those, you know, Tim Curley included, that say, you know, there's no, there is no truth to the rumor that, you know, we doubled his salary or tripled his salary, that, you know, they gave him a nice bump. They made him some um, promises that he could run the program the way he saw fit. Uh, and everything all wrapped up into one was enough to convince him that he should leave his alma mater and come east to Happy Valley. Where did the million dollar rumor come come into come about? How did that did is it just one of those mythical things of legend that people threw out there to try to justify how the greatest college wrestler of all time would leave his alma mater for for anybody, let alone Penn State or anybody? I suspected that those rumors originated somewhere in Iowa, whether it was in Ames or whether it was in Iowa City, where Iowa is. Uh, I suspect um, it came from Iowa trying to explain how in the world, as you said, <clears throat> the greatest collegiate wrestler of all time would even think about leaving what they consider to be the best wrestling state in the country to go to Penn State and to go to Pennsylvania. Now, we're going to break this thing down into some different parts here, but I want to just focus on just April of 2009. You hear the news. You'd been around Penn State Wrestling you knew maybe the program had good potential. Troy Sunderland had done some good things, but but did any could anybody have possibly fathomed in April of two thousand and nine when when Kale was hired that any of this would have could have possibly even in your wildest dreams have have occurred? Now, I mean, I was on the beat at the time full time um, at a local paper and was trying to chase down the rumors of who was going to get the job, and there were. Mentions of Roger Arena at the University of Pennsylvania, Rob Cole at Cornell, maybe a Tim Flynn who was an alumnus who did great things in Edinburgh, but there was no mention of Kale Sanders, and there might have been because why would anybody why would anybody have thought that if Penn State basketball has a coaching opening, they're not getting Mike Shashevsky, right, Andy? I mean, was 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 Kale Sanderson even remotely a, a possibility to anybody at that point? Only to those um, who had the kind of vision that said, if we if we could have our pick, you know, all things being equal, if we could choose one guy that we thought has great potential, who would that be? Other than that, people who were talking in realistic terms were thinking, who has a connection to Pennsylvania wrestling, to Penn State wrestling, mm-hmm. who's doing good things in their current job, who could come here and take all the advantages that Penn State gives you as a wrestling coach? as a wrestling community and who could improve um, regular season and postseason performance. And, and Kale was nowhere in that discussion. 
And when they announced Kale's name, again, you mentioned your full-time wrestling beat writer at the time. Those of you who followed wrestling very closely and in the wrestling community, they announced Kale Sanderson's name, and your reaction is what? I, I was dumbfounded. I I was like, at first I thought, well, that, that can't be true. It just can't be. <laughs> yep. And then they said it, and I was like, well, I don't know how they did it, but it's sure going to be interesting to see what happens. Okay, so let's go back a little further now to Kale Sanderson's college uh, and uh, Olympic wrestling career. You're talking about, is there any question he's the greatest wrestler of all time, 159-0 and 0 in college, uh, gold medal? I mean, uh, certainly the greatest college wrestler of all time. Why was Kale Sanderson such a tremendous wrestler himself? I mean, from seeing him in person, he had an innate ability to carry the action to, um, I mean, I, I saw him in 1999 at the NCAA championships in the Bryce Jordan center. And it was the, maybe the quarterfinals or semifinals. I forget who was wrestling, but he got thrown toward his back. And I thought, Oh my goodness he's going to get put on his back and he landed and contorted his body in such a way and came out on top. And I was just like, man, there's a guy that just knows exactly where he is at all times, whether he's upside down or right side up and just has this innate ability to know what to do on a wrestling mat. And, and the other thing was he was always moving forward. He was always on the offensive and if he tried something and it failed, he got taken down, just like he tells his wrestlers now, he said, hey, look, that just means I need to get one more takedown or one more point, one more takedown than the guy I'm wrestling. 159-0 and in college, four national championships. Kale Sanderson, the only collegiate wrestler to go undefeated with more than 100 victories. Sports Illustrated, the way the story goes, ranked his college career as the second greatest college a sports career of anybody ever other than Jesse Owens, who won, what, four gold medals uh, and, and and it was just phenomenal, four world records uh, at the 1935 Big Ten Track and Field Championship meet. So that's who Cale Sanderson was as a wrestler. So now Penn State hires that guy. What did he learn at Iowa State? They were successful in the Big 12, certainly not to the degree that he has been at Penn State. What did Kale Sanderson, because see, sometimes not all great athletes know how to be great coaches. Larry Bird was not a great basketball coach. You know why? Because Larry Bird probably just expected everybody to work as hard and be as committed as he was. And you know what? Not everybody's like that. And that can be the case for a lot of different coaches in a lot of different sports. And from what I can gather, Kale Sanderson might be the most committed person ever to wrestling. How did he translate that into becoming a coach in those early years at Iowa State? You know, he's a great technician. I mean, he's, you know, guys that are around his weight say, you know, wrestling with him, you can learn so much because he's such a great technician. The thing that struck me when he first came here was the attitude around the program. I remember early in his career walking into the Lorenzo wrestling complex before um, big 10 championships. And there are signs and, you know, with 
with positive things. There are balloons hanging everywhere. And I thought, what the world's going on? And I said, was there a birthday party or something? They said, no, we're just getting ready for the postseason. His attitude about practice should be fun, wrestling should be fun, everything about the sport should be fun, was so totally opposite to what the traditional Iowa teams under Dan Gable were. Everything was serious. Everything was um, work. And, and, you know, if you didn't win, you, you just had to put in more work. And Kale turned it on its head and said, look, we're going to have fun. We're going to be offensive. We're going to be entertaining. We're going to try different things in the room. We're going to have fun in the room. And that's going to translate into success on the on the competition map. So what does that mean? That's a, that's a very interesting uh, element that you described there. What does having fun in the room mean? Because, look, wrestlers can be the most serious people you'll ever meet, you know. So what what is what is a wrestler having fun and, and trying to enjoy um, the, the sport? What, what does that entail? So first of all, if you go to the room and um, before practice, you know, they have this fantastic Nittany Lion Wrestling Club where they have this collection of all-world talent. They mingle and, and mix and practice and wrestle with the collegiate wrestlers. And before each practice, you don't see people drilling or doing stretches or anything. They're running around like a bunch of kids on a playground playing dodgeball, having fun, <laughs> getting warmed up in that very unique way. And they all do it. David Taylor, gold medalist, Jake Varner, gold medalist, Kale, gold medalist. They're all out there running around playing dodgeball. And they, they believe in it. That's having fun. Now, when practice starts, they, you know, some of their best wrestlers are the most creative wrestlers. Um, you know, when it comes down to winning a championship, they'll hit very basic moves, single leg, double leg, that kind of thing. But you'll see some of the most creative moves you'll see out of anybody in the country from them. And it comes from, in practice, they just do whatever they want. They try things. And the thing about Kale is he preaches to his guys, look, if you're not trying and failing, then you're not progressing. You're not getting better. Okay, so I want to go a little bit of a different direction here because I have long believed you can be the greatest coach in the world. You ain't got the Jimmies and the Joes. You ain't winning. This isn't Little Giants where the icebox and the and the nerds from the neighborhood are just all of a sudden going to beat the great athletes in the neighborhood. That movie's so far-fetched, okay? that That's not the real world. In the real world, the little cowboys would have destroyed the Little Giants. That's just how things go. Because if you don't have the, 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 X's, the Jimmies and the Joes, then sometimes the X's and O's like the annexation of Puerto Rico don't really matter. All right, so there's my little fun movie aside, Andy. But... Uh, Penn State had had good wrestlers. They had had some success in Kale's first year. Uh, they went 13-6-1, and and it was okay. And then they win the national championship the next year. How the hell does that happen? Well, to, to those of us who were closest to the, to the program, we thought it was a year early. We didn't think it would, would happen that soon. I think one of the things that is um, unique about Kale is that, yes, he is a master recruiter and he gets most of the guys, most of the best guys in the country, but he has a unique ability to um, 
through the relationships he forges, through the things he teaches, to, to get them to believe that if they go out there and have fun, if they try their best, if they're constantly offensive, that they will, they will ultimately be successful. And he, you know, instilled that spirit in that team. And he had a bunch of, you know, his first year he had kind of some guys that were left over from who Troy recruited, some guys he brought with them. He redshirted a bunch of guys, and then he put them into the lineup in 2011. And, you know, during the season they were very good, but they lost a couple dual meets, and we thought, well, maybe they're not quite ready for prime time. And then the postseason happened, and it was just like, it was like magic. Like they just kept winning and winning and winning. Is it, when you look back again, especially on those early years, how did he get these recruits? Where did these recruits come from? We've heard for a long time that Pennsylvania, great hotbed for wrestling recruiting. But how did, how did he sell these great athletes to go there before he had maybe really accomplished as a coach the things that he certainly has gone on to accomplish. Well, I, I wasn't privy to any of those those recruiting conversations, but I suspect what he told him was, "Look, we are going to put together a collection of talent unlike any in the country, and if you want to come and you want to win individual championships and team championships, this is going to be the place to be. We are going to put a collection of talent together on our collegiate roster." And in our regional training center and in the Lion Wrestling Club, that's going to be unrivaled anywhere in the country, maybe anywhere in the world. And if you want to come and train and be the best, then this is the place to be. And I think he sold it to enough people. You know, David Taylor was the number one recruit in the country. He had committed to go to Iowa State to wrestle with Kale because way back when he was uh, a youth wrestler, he used to go from Wyoming where his dad was a pilot to Utah to train with the Sandersons and he got to know them and like them committed to Iowa state. Kale said he was leaving and David said, well, I'm going to get my release and I'm going to go to Penn state with him. He inherited Ed Ruth, who was a three time champion. He inherited Quentin Wright, who was a two or three time champion and then put some pieces around them. And then people started seeing the nucleus he put together and they just started gravitating to the program. And again, administrative support, the belief that this could happen, putting the resources into this happening. See, I'm a big college basketball fan. I've always wondered why Penn State has never put more resources into the men's basketball program. Well, Penn State doesn't really have a recruiting base for men's basketball. How could Penn State possibly become successful in men's basketball? Why did they think they could become successful in wrestling? I mean, they, they obviously they made the commitment to Kale. They made the financial commitment to the resources. Who were the brilliant minds around here, around there at the time that thought, hey, if we do this the right way, we, we can build this? Well, I think, um, I think Tim Curley had been an AD for a long time. I think Rich Lorenzo, who had been uh, a head coach here, who had retired, but was still actively involved with the program with, you know, under John Fritz, under, under Troy Sunderland, you know, he was kind of one of these um, mentor types that was around if anybody needed advice and Kale leaned on him a lot in the early years. So he, he'd be the first to admit that, you know, he would 
he would pick his brain and, you know, what, how would you do this? What do you think about that? And, you know, there were other people like, you know, Dave Joyner, who was uh, an AD for a time, was an old wrestler. He believed in the program. You know, Penn State has had a long tradition of having a, a really good wrestling program. It was never the equal of the Oklahoma States or certainly the Iowas. But, you know, people with vision thought, you know, if we could recruit the best in Pennsylvania and then the best even in the contiguous states around Pennsylvania, we could be as good as anyone. And then Kale took it a step further and said, look, we're going to get the best from all over. I mean, this year's team, you've got Roman Bravo Young from Tucson, Arizona. You've got Max Dean from Michigan. You've got Aaron Brooks from Maryland. You've got Carter Sirachi, who's from Erie. You've got all of these guys from all over the place. Um, you know, New Jersey. You've got another, you know, Levi Haynes, who is the, looks to be the next rising star among uh, the guys on the team now, true freshman who's from, you know, down around Dillsburg, south of Harrisburg. He goes to where the best talent is. You know, Bo Nickel was from Allen, Texas. Um, you know, he goes and, and tracks and convinces the, the best of the best to come here. And he rarely misses on a recruit. Last thing I really want to touch on here, Andy, is once they got the ball rolling, uh, four straight national titles, 11, 12, 13, 14. They didn't win it in 15. Then they win four more in a row, 16, 17, 18, 19. And then they won last year. They're going for 10 this year. Once he got the ball rolling and he's got the recruits, how has Cale Sanderson become a better coach? Uh, how has he gone from the 159-0 and wrestler to the good coach at Iowa State but now he's got these guys and, and these and these horses, and they have the right strategy. They get the bonus points. They know how to pile up team points in competitions. How has Cale Sanderson improved as a coach over time? You know, when he was first announced at that opening press conference, he talked about, I was brought here to win championships and, and create individual champions and team champions, and he's done that. But his message has changed a little bit over time from, talking about championships to talking about it's a process. It's every day you come in and have fun and you get better. And it's not about, um, it's not about necessarily winning and losing from one day to the next. It's about getting better. Now he always talks about improving and peaking in March because, you know, teams aren't remembered for the dull meat record necessarily, or if they won a big 10 title, but they, they're measured by, the number of NCAA championships they've won and the number of individual championships they've won. And he's made it about the journey. He said, he has said multiple times and sometimes you, you can kind of roll your eyes and you say, you really believe that. But the wrestlers repeat it too. He's like, it's not about, you know, for most of the season, it's not about winning and losing. It's about going out and getting better. And then when you get to the end, if you're getting better every day, you're going to be good enough to win those championships. Last thing for you, Andy, you've been around Kale for a long time and the program for a long time. When people on the outside ask you the question of, hey, what's Kale Sanderson like? What's your favorite personal story of Kale Sanderson? Do you have a go-to story or anecdote that you like to tell people that really kind of maybe sums up Kale Sanderson a little bit? I think for as accomplished as he is, 
as an individual wrestler and as a coach, I think he is as regular a guy as you can get. I mean, he is known through his wrestlers and his coaches and everything as a guy that likes to address a group and tell kind of like dad jokes, just like bad jokes and just to loosen things up. He just seems like a regular guy. I mean, and in many ways he's, um, he's so focused on wrestling that there are times when you can talk to him about pop culture or, you know, who won the Grammys or whatever. And he literally has no idea what you're talking about. Now he does get some references, but I mean, he is just so singularly focused that if it's outside of his sphere of interest, he just, you know, he doesn't have time for it. And, you know, a lot of us can be that way. You know, if we're concentrated on business or, or whatever our, our, our interest is, our passion is, maybe we don't know about politics or some other ancillary thing, but he's just a regular guy. I mean, he tells, he tells corny jokes. He tells funny jokes. He could be self-deprecating, but, um, Whatever it is that he does and whatever influence uh, he, uh, it's amazing the influence he has on, on his wrestlers. Is there any end in sight to this dominance? Uh, they'll, they'll lose some guys, some national champions after this year, but you mentioned a young guy like a Levi Haynes. Is, is, is this the way it's going to be for the foreseeable future still? Well, that's funny. We were having a discussion. The last dual meet was on Sunday, and I said wrestling writers and wrestling fans are the only people I know that – we could be in the middle of the season, heading into the postseason, and we're already talking about next season. And we were talking about what's the lineup going to look like. Well, they'll lose Roman Bravo Young, who could be a three-time champ. Um, but they'll probably be able to replace him with somebody similar, but maybe not as good. They'll lose Max Dean, who was a great transfer from Cornell. Um, you know, Maybe they shift some guys around in the upper weights, but they'll still have a boatload of talent coming back and they have, they already have the a commitment from the number one recruit in the class of 2024. They have a couple good recruits in the class of 2023. And it just, I don't see any end in sight just because they keep stockpiling talent and people say, well, where are they going to fit people in? You know, they just make it happen. They shift things around. They convince people to stay. And that's the other thing. They very rarely have a high-level wrestler who maybe gets relocated to a backup for a year or whatever. They rarely have anybody transfer out. They want to be in this program because they know that no matter if they're a starter or almost a starter, they can be the best they can be. And if you have that kind of talent in your starting lineup and that kind of talent as backups, I don't see where it's going to end. That's tremendous stuff, man. Andy Elder cannot thank you enough for the trip down memory lane. Just fantastic, fantastic stories, Andy. Thank you so much, pal. Thanks, Corey. Anytime you want to talk wrestling, I'm your guy. Thanks, bud.